uh, we've been taking this month to consider what the Lord has to say about the importance of seeking him. And so a couple Sundays ago, we looked at Psalm chapter 24, and we saw that we must be the generation that seeks the Lord now. And there was a, a sense of urgency there that, that we are to be the generation that seeks the Lord now by contemplating his greatness. And, if, and we were challenged that Sunday that if we're going to seek the Lord, there are things that we must leave behind in order to be with Christ and so I encourage you to, to keep meditating upon that. In this new year, how will I seek the Lord? What is the Lord asking me to leave behind so that I might be able to spend time or to walk with him in intimacy? And if we're going to uh, walk with him, we need to be consecrating our lives to him. That is, that there needs to be a, a separation from sin, a holiness towards the Lord. We must crown him as the king of glory in our lives by surrendering and yielding our wills to him. Last Sunday, we looked in Jeremiah chapter 2, and we saw the warning that the Scripture gives concerning what happens when we do not seek the Lord. And the ever-present danger facing the people of God is always the threat that we will begin to love the world and pursue a friendship with the world instead of seeking the Lord. And Jeremiah is very clear about what happens when we forget, forsake the Lord because we ultimately end up following something or something someone other than the Lord and the Bible says that whenever we do that our lives become vain worthless nothing and so we are reminded that we must be people who constantly seek the Lord and so today we're going to consider the words of Jesus Christ as he calls us to seek his rule and his righteousness our text is found in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34 is what we're going to be looking at. And in these verses, the Lord Jesus is going to diagnose three heart conditions of those who are either seeking or not seeking the Lord. And one condition we're going to see is the divided heart. And you're going to see, I got some different names here, so let me just give you three Ds. You guys got, I, I worked on this after the sermon was built up here, right? So I got three Ds. You can just follow the outline here, but let me give you three of these just so I can feel good, right? Uh, the divided heart, the distracted heart, the devoted heart, all right? That's what the three heart conditions we're going to take a look at. They're going to be different on the screen, but you'll get the point. Let's read God's word, and then uh, we're going to look into what God has to say. Beginning with verse 19, we'll read to the end of chapter 6, Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Jesus said this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth." Moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Notice here in these verses, verses 25 to 34, three times Jesus is going to tell us not to worry. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 26, look. At the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you, of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, or the believers, run after. Same word that's going to be used in verse 33. For the pagans seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, here's the contrast. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so let's consider what the Lord here is um, saying to us today. Three kinds of hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to diagnose. The first is the divided heart. The divided heart, we see this in verses 19 to 24. Miss Bertha Adams was 71 years old when she died alone in her West Palm Beach apartment on an Easter Sunday morning. The coroner's report read, cause of death, malnutrition. She wasted away to 50 pounds. She could no, and when she had wasted away to 50 pounds, she could stay no longer alive. Um, the state authorities, when they began to, their, made their preliminary investigation of the home, they found it a pig pen. Uh, the, the report read, the biggest mess you can imagine. One seasoned inspector declared he had never seen a, a dwelling place in such disarray. Miss Bertha had begged food from her neighbors. She had purchased her clothing from a Salvation Army. From all appearances, she was a penniless recluse, forgotten, a widow who had been forgotten by everyone. But such was not the case. Amid the jumble of her apartment, disheveled belongings, there was found two keys to safety deposit boxes at two different banks, and the discovery was unbelievable. One contained over 700 AT&T stock certificates, hundreds of other valuable notes, bonds, and solid financial investments, along with $200,000 in cash. The other box had no certificates, only cash, $600,000 to be exact. Bertha Adams was a millionaire, and then some, and yet she died of starvation. And her death will be even more tragic if she died spiritually destitute as well. The first condition that the Lord Jesus Christ diagnoses for us is that of a divided heart. A heart that we'll see here in a moment that is divided between the material, what he calls mammon, and, or money, and God. And in his diagnosis for us in verses 19 to 24, the Lord Jesus is going to present to us a series of contrasts, three contrasts, in fact, to give us an axiom or a truth by which we're to live. The, the three axioms are the durability of two treasures, the usefulness of two visions, and the worth of two masters. All right, so let's just kind of walk through this. Verses 19 through 20, Jesus speaks about two treasures. He talks about their durability and their location. He says the treasures are clothing. He identifies them in verse 19. A, a, a clothing, um, uh, well, clothing and food and, um, uh, and, and 
precious metals or money. And, and he speaks about that they're subject to the clothing or subject to decay by moss, food. Um, your translation might say rust. It's the idea of being destroyed, being eaten by vermin. Right? So you think of food that's being stored. You know, think of the granaries down there on Main Street. Uh, the, you know, mice and whatnot eating away at what we have. And then the precious metals, uh, the subject to thieves. In our culture today, uh, the big thing that everybody seems to be talking about is uh, inflation, right? What we have today is less than what we had yesterday because of inflation. And so everything we have, the Lord Jesus here is warning us. He says, if your treasure is here on this earth, it's disappearing, right? It, it's going to disappear. So make sure that your treasure is somewhere else other than here, right? That's the point he, that he's going to be making in verses 19 and 20. And then in verse 21, Jesus presents to us that axiom. He says, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. And that is our heart always follows what we treasure. And so the question that we have to stop and ask ourselves at the beginning is, do we really treasure the things of God? Does the eternal and do the heavenly realities really matter to us? Or do we give lip service to them on Sunday morning and then we begin to pursue the treasures of this earth as we live our lives on Monday throughout the week? And so the question today, is your heart divided? Is my heart divided? Uh, the second means of di diagnosing a divided heart is to uh, com compare or contrast the usefulness of two visions. He speaks about our eyes. He says, is your eye healthy? He says, if your eye is healthy, there in verse 22, he says, your whole body is full of light. And the idea of being healthy, he's not talking about having sound eyesight 2020. He's speaking about is, what is the focus of our eyes? Is your eye generous? That's the use of the word healthy. Is your eye generous? Is, your eye, um, is the outlook of your eye willing, looking for opportunities to help others? Uh, is it full of life? Is your eye, when your eye is full of life, healthy, looking towards others, it is able to give you a clear perception. What matters most will be clearly seen. Verse 23 presents that contrast. If the eye is unhealthy, verse 23, the idea there literally is um, if your eye is evil or stingy, Lord Jesus says that your whole body is filled with darkness. He's speaking about the condition of the heart. What occupies our heart affects how we see life. And so this is the diagnosis of a divided heart, verse 24. The Lord um, compares and contrasts two masters. He says, when, he says, when you have two masters, it's impossible to serve one. He says, one master will be loved, the other will be hated. One master you'll be devoted to, the other master you'll despise. And so Jesus says it's impossible to serve, there at the end of the verse, God and mammon or money or material matters. You have to choose one. Your heart cannot be divided. And so the Lord Jesus here is going to give to us a principle by which we deal with, address the division, the battle that goes on in our heart. And I believe this is the principle. The principle is that we are to treasure God above everything else. We're to treasure God above everything else. First, we go back up to verse 21, that axiom for where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Your heart will follow what you treasure. And the point that I think Jesus is making in these verses, 19 and 24 of Matthew chapter 6, is that it's not that we need more stuff to satisfy a divided heart, 
Like if I have more stuff, my divided heart will be satisfied and then I'll be able to devote myself to God. That's not what he's saying. The point that Jesus is saying is this, is that we must treasure Christ above everything else lest our hearts remain divided. We must treasure Christ and what he has done for us and what he has secured for us. That must be our greatest treasure. The song, the last song we just, my worth is not in what I own, but in Christ who died for me. That's the message that we must embrace and live by. That, that has to become the heart, uh, the cry of our hearts. And so one of the commentators just uh, that I was using this week, studying, he offered these five questions, that's diagnostic questions for our hearts. I don't have them on the screen, but, but if you're taking notes, you may want to just write these down. What occupies your thoughts, thoughts when you have nothing else to do? What occupies your thoughts when you have nothing else to do? When you find yourself daydreaming, or you find yourself just you know, sitting on the couch, where does your mind naturally go? Because there is probably where your heart is. What do you find yourself fretting or worrying over? Is it your home, your family, your job, your financial portfolio, your securities? What we find ourselves worrying about is often, well, there we find what our treasure is. Apart from your loved ones, what or whom do you dread, do you most dread losing? Apart from your loved ones, what or whom do you most dread losing? What are the things you measure others by? Do you value what, what they drive or where they live or the position that they have, the influence that they have? What is it that you measure others by? Well, this person is, you know, up. This person is down. What's the difference? It reveals a heart. Finally, what is it that you know you cannot be happy without? What is it that you know that you cannot be happy without? I think it's important for us to just stop and think about, do we have a divided heart this morning? A divided heart. Some time ago I read about a farmer who came home happily one day and walked into the house and the wife said, why, why are you so happy? He goes, well, you would not believe it. Our cow gave birth not just to one but to two calves today. And I really believe that we should give one to the Lord and one to ourselves. And his wife said, well, that, I think that's great. Which one's going to be the Lord's? Which one's going to be ours? He says, oh, we don't need to decide that now. We'll just raise them both the same. And when the time comes, we'll know which one is the Lord and which one is ours. And, and we'll give one to the Lord. We'll keep one for ourselves. And, and she said, well, we should decide now. He said, no, no, we'll just go on. We'll just be, it'll be fine. And he went on his way. Some time had passed. They were raising both the cows. And... Uh, the farmer came in the house dejected and sad, and his wife said, what is wrong? He says, you're not going to believe it, but the Lord's cow died today. He said, well, how do you know it was the Lord's cow? He thought, oh, no, it's always the, the white one. The white one was the Lord's cow, and, 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 and it's the one that died today, and we were going to, and so. But isn't that how it is in life, that it's always the Lord's cow that dies Unless we dismiss this lightly, turn with me in your Bibles over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10. I want us to consider 
an account from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. That this is not just a passing matter, that this is a matter that we must pay particular attention to. Verse 17, the scripture says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to eternal, inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother, Teacher, he declared, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, right? Separate yourself from something, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we understand what's going on here. There's gonna, let me explain it here in a second. But there, there was a worldview, a, a paradigm shift that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to lead his disciples in, into here in a moment. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were then were even more amazed, and they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, but not with God, all things are possible with God. The, the worldview that the disciples in the first century Jews lived with was this, that if you were wealthy, you had the favor of God. If you were poor, you were out of favor with God. And so this man who had great wealth, Jesus now is confronting that worldview, and he's saying, listen, wealth has nothing to do with favor with God. Your, your wealth can, cannot secure your etern- the salvation of your eternal soul. That's why he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because they're, they, have a, they have a wrong view of themselves, they have a wrong estimation of themselves, they have a wrong view of their need before God. They're secure in what they have. And the disciples, they began to understand what Jesus was saying. And they're saying, well, if the wealthy can't be saved, who, who can be saved? If, if the wealthy don't have the favor of God and the poor don't have, who, who can be saved? And that's why Jesus says there at the end, he says, with man, this is impossible. Salvation by man, by you, by me, it, we cannot save ourselves. That's impossible. But all things are possible with God. Salvation is secured through Jesus Christ and, and uh, through, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so the great need for us this morning is to address the division in our hearts. Let's not rely upon our status and the things that we have. Let us rely upon Christ and Christ alone. And if you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, know this, that that salvation is possible not by yourself, not by your church, not by your parents, not by anyone else other than what Jesus Christ did for you. At the cross, Christ died for your sin, took your place, was raised to life, and through faith in him, God grants, gives justification, declares you righteous before God. If that's your great need today, 
Let's start there. That's the hard issue that faces all of us. We need Christ. And if you need Christ, I invite you to come to him today. So the first heart is the divided heart. The second heart is the worried heart or the distracted heart. Uh, we could call it the distracted heart. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, uh, we can see that beginning in verses 25. We'll go down to verse uh, 30 and then pick it up again in verse 31. But three times in these verses, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, Jesus is going to instruct us not to worry. And he's going to introduce to us what we could call the world's trinity. The world's trinity. Do not worry um, about food, about your drink, and about your fashion. All right? Do not worry what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. Don't worry how you're going to survive in this life, and don't worry about your status in this life. That's what he's going to call us to do. Right? And the idea for worry, um, you know, the, the English word worry comes from the German word that has the idea of being choked. It's interesting that Jesus uses that idea of being choked in the, in the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 4, the four different kinds of soils. You guys remember that parable? And then the soil that falls on the rocky ground um, <clears throat> begins to be choked out by the thorns. And... Um, is unable to bear fruit. That word, therefore, being choked is the idea of being worried. Jesus says that they are, they're just being choked up by the cares of this world. Worry has a way of constricting our lives, choking the life out of us. It's the idea of being distracted in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus visited the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You guys remember that home? And Jesus was there, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was busy in the kitchen serving and preparing everything. And Mary, Martha bursts in and says, tell, your sister, tell my sister to come and help me. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Martha, you, have, you are distracted. You are worried by all these things. But Mary has chosen the better thing. And so in his diagnosis here in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 to 30, Jesus is going to diagnose the distracted heart. He's going to make two assessments. When he talks about worry, Jesus is going to say this about worry. That first of all, that worry is incompatible with your faith. He's going to say, he's going to ask, he says, do you not know? Do you not know that your life is more than what you eat and drink and your body is more than a vessel that needs to be clothed? He's going to remind his hearers then, us today, that we, as the, create, uh, the creatures, those who have been created by God, we bear the image of God. And so in verse 26, he's going to give a command. He says, look, pay careful attention to all the species of the birds. Verse 28, he's going to tell us to watch. He says, go out to the field. He's going to watch all the flowers of the field. Pay particular attention to the flowers of the field. And he's going to remind us in both of these accounts that the Lord, who is our Heavenly Father, cares for the birds, he feeds them, and he cares for the flowers of the field that have a short lifespan, and he uh, clothes, them, it clothes them in beautiful array, and he reminds us that, that because we belong to God, not only as our Creator, but through Christ, he is our Father, how much more will he not also care for us? And the point I think that the Lord is making is this. 
that if God cares for those who have far less value, for those things that have far less value than those who bear the image of God, you and I who have been redeemed by Christ, how will he also care for us? And so he's, Lord Jesus here is just saying in these verses that worry is incompatible with a life of faith. Verse 34, worry is incompatible with common sense. Look again at verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry never takes away tomorrow's trouble, does it? But what worry does is it always makes it impossible for us to bear up with, under today's trouble. It weakens our ability to bear up under today's trouble. <clears throat> I also find it interesting here in verse 34 that the Lord Jesus Christ never promises his children a problem-free existence. Did you notice that? He says tomorrow we'll have trouble. That, that's just the guarantee. Right? You just count on it. Today has enough trouble, tomorrow will have trouble of its own. So don't worry about tomorrow's trouble. But as the Lord provides for what is needed today, the Lord will also provide for what is needed tomorrow. And so therefore don't worry. Don't worry. And so the remedy then for a troubled heart or a, a distracted heart, a worried heart, is this. Um, is that he's calling us to trust God at all times. To trust God at all times. Right? He reminds us twice in verse 26 and in verse 32 that God is our Father. Right? He is calling us to trust God as our Father. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the need, whatever we find ourselves facing, He's calling us. He says, listen, your Father knows what you have need of, therefore, trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him in whatever comes your way. Trust Him in whatever the need is. Trust Him in whatever the challenge is. And we can be honest, right? Lord, I don't understand it. I, this is overwhelming. I don't, uh, this is greater than, I, it feels like it's greater than I can bear. And yet you said in your word that, that you will take care of this. That you will take care of me. You'll see me through this. I trust you in this moment. Verse, in those verses where we hear about, where, where the Lord Jesus refers to God as your heavenly father. He reminds us that, that God knows what we need. That he is, as a father, he is neither stingy nor miserly. He is not limited in his resources nor in his power. He is neither unaware nor ignorant of our need. He is gracious. He is good. He is benevolent. He is generous. He is ready. He is kind. He is bountiful. He is loving. He is caring. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to trust him at all times even today. <clears throat> the divided heart, the worried heart, verses 31 to 33, the Lord Jesus speaks to us about the seeking harder, the devoted heart. In contrast to the divided and to the worried heart, the Lord Jesus is calling us to seek him Look at verse 33. Let's, let's read these verses. Let's begin in verse 32. Down. Let me, let's begin in verse 31. We'll read down to verse 33. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, for the unbelievers, seek after, run after these things. 
all these things. He's calling us to live differently than the unbelieving world around us. He says, don't make food, drink, clothing your pursuit in life. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Live just in that quiet, confident trust of God. Instead, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Let's consider that first verb there, verse 33. But seek first. Seek first. It's a, it's a present imperative. Com- it's a present imperative. It's a command. This is not a suggestion. Hey, hey, if you want to have a better day today, why don't you try this? That, that's not what Jesus, he says, seek first. This is a command. This is instruction. This is what we must do today. There is an urgency here. He says, if you've confessed me as your Savior, do this. Seek first. Uh, present tense, ongoing, not just some days. This is an ongoing command. This is to be our daily pursuit to seek. What does that verb mean? Make this your ambition. Make this your pursuit. Let this be your passion. Let this move you from the inside into action. And so the question this morning is what animates you? What energizes you? What, what keeps you up at night? What gets you uh, out of bed in the morning. I, I asked that question, I don't know where I asked that question a while back, and Drew said, well, Paul does. Paul gets me up in the morning, keeps me up at night. Well, hopefully it's more than Paul, but, um, but the idea there is that we are to seek. Seek first. First in kind, first in time. Seek above everything else, the kind, First in time, let this be your main priority in life. Let this be your top shelf goal in life. Make this your pursuit. Seek first what? Seek first his rule. Seek first God's rule. He says his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Seek first the rule of Jesus Christ. I like what John Stott said in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Seeing Jesus Christ, seeking first God's rule means that we want to see Jesus Christ rule over his people. To desire of first importance the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what this means. The kingdom of God is where God rules over the lives of men and women. This obviously, on a personal note, this begins with us, right? I would seek first. I want Jesus Christ to rule and to reign over every area of my life. Uh, the, the area of my thoughts, my, my words, the motives of my heart, the actions of my life, the, the desires that I have, the, the dreams that I have, how I seek to use all that God has entrusted to me. I want every part of my life to come under his rule and his reign. This has to do with my submission to King Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. We saw that, you know, the first Sunday we began thinking about the generation now is bringing everything under the rule and reign of Christ. And we see it again here. To seek the Lord is, to, is that, that he would be king over every area of our lives. So it begins with us. But it also has to do with our witness. We want people to live in right relationship with King Jesus. And again, we're reminded that those who are apart from King Jesus, everyone who's apart from Jesus Christ is under his wrath. <clears throat> I was thinking about 
Last night, having a conversation with Vicky last night about Hosea, the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 14, the book ends with the people of God confessing our sins have been our downfall. Satan will give us the bill, right? Sin, this is the way to pleasure. This will make your life work. And we, we buy it in. We buy it all the time, don't we? And on the back end, what do we do? We find out that the bitterness of sin is our downfall. And so we want people who today, who think that life is found outside of God to realize that life is only found in God. Seek first Christ's rule. Seek first God's righteousness. Seek first God's righteousness. Again, John Stott, what does he mean by God's righteousness? Seeing the standards of God's righteousness characterize every community. I like what he said, that God's righteousness characterize every community, not just the Christian community, right? So we want fellowship to be characterized by righteousness. We want the city of Saginaw to know that there are a group of believers, north side of Saginaw, who have covenanted together to live in relationship with one another, to, to serve the great God of heaven, and we want them to know that there is righteousness that characterizes these people here at Fellowship Baptist Church, but not just us. We want Saginaw to be characterized by the righteousness of God. And Fort Worth. And Fort Worth. <laughs> well, just, just the edge of Fort Worth. No, I'm just messing. All of Fort, yes, all of Fort Worth, yeah. I was just, sorry, a little bit provincial, apologize. <clears throat> all right, again, because the church has lagged behind the, the, the church has lagged behind in this, right? We have lagged behind in seeking the righteousness of God. And so what has happened? In the vacuum of the church not pursuing the righteousness of God, the world has stepped in and has advocated righteousness. And they, but not the righteousness of God, right? The world talks about social justice and uh, ending racism and creating gender equality apart from the righteousness of God. And they don't know what it is. And so they advocate change, but change that is contrary to the righteousness of God. The church, we the people of God, we must seek first that God's righteousness begins to permeate all of life. Righteousness is, is seeing um, God's order being brought into this world. It's God, uh, it's the righteousness of God that brings about societal transformation according to the will and according to the word of God. It's the heart of God that begins to permeate and change how we see society being governed and being lived out. Think of the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament. They denounced the people of God. Why? Because of injustice and unrighteousness. I think of what um, the prophet Micah says, right? Micah chapter five, verse two. The Lord has shown you, O man, what the Lord requires. Do you guys remember that verse? <clears throat> That we, would, uh, that we would act justly, that we would love mercy, that we would walk humbly with our Lord. That's the heart of God. This is the will of God. This is what it means that the, the righteousness of God would begin to permeate all of society, not just human, or not just uh, Christian communities, but all communities. And notice what Jesus promises there in verse 33. 
He says, seek first his rule, seek first his righteousness, and notice what he says. And all these things will be given to you as well. All the things of a divided heart and a worried heart, the Lord will take care of that. And so what's the principle? I think the principle is this, is that if we're gonna seek first the rule of God, the righteousness of God, is that we need to take God at his word, right? The, the remedy for a divided heart is that we're to treasure Christ above all things. The remedy for a worried heart is that we would um, trust God at all times. The evidence of a heart that is seeking the Lord will be a life that is taking God at his word. Taking God at his word. You know, as I reflect on that last statement, all these things will be added unto you, the remedy is... Jesus is here. Listen, you have a choice to make. How are you going to live? I'm telling you, he says, if you seek my rule and my righteousness first, the things that you find are so necessary and so needful, he says, those will be taken care of. Will we take him at his word? Jesus Christ, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did with his disciples. He, he, as he developed them as his apostles, he he, he taught them the importance of taking him at his word. Let me get, just read a couple verses here. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Peter spoke up. He says, we have left everything to follow you. He's asking the question. He says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. This is on the heels of, of that question about who then can be saved. And Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said this. Truly, I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, or for me, and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. What will they receive? Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, friends, or fields, rather. Now you think about that. Think about all that you've received in following Christ, being part of his body, right? Along with persecutions, don't miss that, <laughs> that's coming that's part of following Christ persecutions and in the age to come eternal life hmm. how do you lose how do you lose right in this life this and persecutions age to come eternal life but many who will be first will be last and the last first another time Luke chapter 12 the Lord Jesus said this, do not be afraid, little flock. He's speaking to his disciples. Do not be afraid. You ever find yourself afraid? Do not be afraid, little flock. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Take God at his word. The Father has delighted to give you the kingdom. And because you have the kingdom, Jesus says, Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide for yourself purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Take God at his word. The Father has delighted to give you the kingdom. So give your life away. Seek first his rule. Seek first his righteousness. All right, let me wrap it up. We'll pray, we'll be done. This month, uh, January, January the 8th, 
66 years ago, January the 8th, the five missionaries that were trying to reach the indigenous Indian group of Ecuador. Remember their names? We know Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, but the others were Roger Yorderin, Ed McCulley, um, let me write down the other one, Pete Fleming. And people looked at their lives, these young men, all around the age of 30 or younger, who were murdered there on that, on that airstrip out in the jungles. They said, what a tragic waste. Men who had so much potential, lost, lives cut short, uh, given their lives to, to do what? And yet, prior to their death, I want you to hear what three of these men wrote in their journals as it comes to seeking the rule of Christ and the righteousness of God. Ed McCulley wrote, I have one desire now. This was after his own dark night of the soul as he was really wrestling with the call of God to go to the mission field. He says, I have one desire now to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all of my strength and energy into it. He wrestled with the Lord until he had confirmation that this is what God, and he says, I'm in. I'm all in. Reckless abandon for the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Will you this morning make a decision to live with a reckless abandon for the Lord? Nate Saint, the pilot. During the last war, that would be the World War II, uh, we were taught to recognize that in order to obtain our objective, we had to be willing to be expendable. And then he asks these, makes this penetrating observation. Yet when the Lord asks, the Lord Jesus asks us to pay the price for world evangelization, world evangelization, we often answer without a word. We cannot go. We say it costs too much. Will you, will I, make our lives expendable for the Lord? And then Jim Elliot, right? He is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing to give up your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? To seek him first, to seek his rule first, to seek his righteousness first, to gain what you cannot lose?